Great. So, um, so first of all, how long has it been like since the last time we actually were in the same room, like 30, oh, 40 uh, years? <laughs> well, you were in, um, what was it? What was the name of your band? It was, uh, I always hung out with you and DeGraz. It was, uh, wow. I forget. The, I mean, it was probably the 90s. Name. It was the nineties. And uh, I used to hang out with you all the time because you were you were always hanging out with with mutual friends. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, it was. Uh, yeah, well, believe it or not, I, I came up with. So obviously us growing up in the 80s into like, you know, 80s acts like MTV. The first yeah. band that I started uh, was called Frame of Mind. That was, again, high school band. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some decent players. And then I think that what you're referring to is. After I graduated, after high school, I started a band called Chasing Trouble. And um, that was it. That was the one. That was it. Chasing. Yeah. Chasing Trouble. Yeah. And I'm not sure where we came up with that name, but I guess it sounded very 80s. I mean, not, not it as. Was, um, it was Craig Daniel. Yeah. Pincus, Craig Daniel Pincus. Well, Craig Daniel, yeah. he's known around the shore. Craig, and, Chris Covert, he's a comedian now. Is he really? I, I, now, who did he play? He, he played bassist. keyboards. And the bassist was Jay a guy Car named Jason. Jay Carney. He was actually um like the good friends of like PJ Farley from Trickster. Okay, I remember Trickster. And then John, obviously. Yeah, one yeah. Like, yeah. One yeah. of the groomsmen at my wedding. So that's how yeah. I knew because I, I was so close with John. So that's how <clears throat> we knew each other and I. Um, and how about you? Now now and then and then ironically, and then after you know the, the failed venture. It wasn't I, I shouldn't say fail venture. It was a lot of fun, right? Um hey, but man, it's a band. That, it's supposed to be bro, it's supposed to be bro time. Right, exactly. Exactly. It was a great time. Yeah. And then after that, we after that, I started a cover band. You did. I did. Yeah, okay. I did. So I went I went to I went to college and so after, right after, like we did all the original band stuff, I went to school. My parents were like, "You're going to school, Dean. You're going to school." So yeah. I ended up, uh, you know, spent a couple of years of college, graduated, and because we lived in New Jersey, I mean, I think at that time, um, we most of the time when we saw bands play, they were playing in clubs, and most of them were cover bands. So mm -hmm. I'm like, what a cool way of making money. And a cool way of just playing, actually. You know, it was more about just playing, but then of course, let's make a little bit of money on the side. And we started the cover band, and that was obviously with John and then Craig and then another guy. And we did that for about maybe a year and a half. And then I left. And I think then you then you and your then you and Brian kind of came in, right? Well, yeah, I, I I remember getting a call from John, and he had uh, asked Brian and I if we would be willing to fill in for a couple of shows. With, we knew Craig from John. I mean, we were all friends. We knew because we used sure. to all hang out. We used to go to the Inkwell. I mean, we used to all hang out at the same places. I'm sorry, sure. 100 pound, 100 pound dog pushing me this way. So if I look like I'm possessed. Yeah, and I'm going to turn, hold, and hold, I'm going to turn something off right over here. I got something. Sure, wrong. sure. Shelby, come on, go. Okay. So, yeah. so go on. Um, I'm, he asked, he, he said, would you be willing to play bass? I was like, yeah, I play, I play bass. I have a bass. I mean, I'm a guitar player by, by, from originally a guitar player. Right. Uh, so I learned how to play bass. I, I sing a little bit. Uh, well, I didn't learn how to play. I mean, kind of, it's it's pretty simple songs, most of these songs. 
and then Brian is sort of could play anything. It didn't matter keys, guitar, drums, whatever. So, so they brought him in on drums. Uh, he had asked if we would fill in on bass and drums. And then um, I had a friend that I grew up with, Brian Douglas. <clears throat> um, I grew up with him in Heightstown. He came in and started playing keys. Um, so that was, I can't remember, I guess it was just Craig Daniel Band or Original House Party or it was a couple of different names. And we just played, it was just covers, not no originals whatsoever. And that was the, uh, all around the same time we were all teaching guitar. I was teaching guitar and bass and a little bit of piano and vocals and John and Brian was teaching and John was teaching. We were all teaching for Joey Navolo, who's like a local legend drummer. He was like a legendary drummer in the area. <clears throat> I think it was called Big Beats Music Studio in Neptune all around the same time. So I was doing both for a little bit until the, the cover band thing went a little better. And then I was like, oh, cool. I only have to work like three or four nights a week, you know, Thursday through Sunday. And um, I did that. Uh, and then Brian and I, during the breaks, <clears throat> would talk about the songs and be like, yeah, like, it's really simple. It's like kind of stupid, some of these songs. And he said, well, if you want to try to write some, some of this type of shit, we should, we should get together. So we would get together before and after the shows and just kind of like dabble in some of the pop, uh, some of the pop ideas, ideas we had, but we've, we've all were like dabbling on each other's music for years, Brian or me by myself, John DeGrazio by himself, right. had a massive studio, um, <clears throat> you know, um, but for some reason, Brian and I gravitated a little bit more to pop and um, that's where that relationship began of us writing together from that, probably from playing covers in that in Craig's band. Got it. So yeah. from there, yeah, so I was going to say, so when you're in the cover <clears> band, <throat> because, right, I mean, we were, I think one thing about going in the cover band, you, you play like these popular hits. You and know, you see and the I, reaction, absolutely, yeah. Right. And I grew up, you know, like you grew up, we grew up listening to more probably less, well, I can't speak to everything you listen to, but hard rock bands and you get used to listening to one genre you go and you play cover bands yeah. and you subconsciously hear all this kind of stuff like you know the chords the progression you know yeah. so i say like a good a good way to start songwriting and just to learn just just music is play a bunch of covers you'll you'll it'll it'll simplify it for you because if you're listening to <clears throat> if you want to be segovia a cover band isn't for you. Writing songs, pop songs isn't for you. If you want to play music like Ingve Malmsteen, that's not for you. That's what I grew up listening to. That's right. what I grew up trying to be until I got into, you know, then I started teaching guitar, then got into the cover band. So I told, it was a whole 180 for me. I wanted to be Steve Vai at one point. Um, yeah. Or, uh, I, I wanted to do instrumental guitar music um, and shred. And I totally went out the window when I realized, yeah, nobody's going to, purchase this music from me i don't think uh there's a lot and it, and it became i actually started to gravitate towards pop i liked pop i <clears throat> i liked reggae i liked i liked everything playing in the cover band opened my mind a little bit to a lot of other styles and music i was a little close-minded i grew up listening to very similar music as you all the hard rock skid row bon jovi everything that was hot right. in the in the 80s and the 90s warrant and um but in the 80s, I was, I was more open-minded. I listened to Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. And I noticed as I got older, I got a little more closed-minded. And I, I kind of gravitated towards the metalheads because those were my people in high school. I listened to more Metallica. But um, I didn't mind the, the hair metal because that's what all of us were. Well, right. with the exception of the hair for me. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I gravitated towards all that. Um, but in, in, in a sense, those are pop songs. Those are just pop songs. 
anyway, right? They were all huge hits. Cinderella and, and all these groups they had huge hits and they were pop. So that's what was popular at the time. And, but as, as the band, I think things uh, like the Backstreet Boys started to bubble under right around the time we were, we were in the cover band. Uh, we started to hear quick Josh, hold games. on. I'm just turning this thing off again. I don't know yeah. why this is going on still. There we go. Now we got it on. Uh, so, yeah, so the Backstreet Boys were bubbling at the time you were saying. Right, right. Brian and I started writing pop songs. I was like, I think we can write this kind of stuff. So we just started kind of experimenting with some guy-ish pop. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I was. he's like, well, I don't sing. He goes, could you want to try it? <laughs> it's like, I didn't really sing much at the time. Just backgrounds. So I ended up... Um, trying to learn how to sing and I, I over time I just became a singer and I sang I ended up singing all of our demos over, over time I think we hired someone in the beginning but he was too soulful he was too much of a singer for that kind of music you know you got to be kind of simple it's got to be simple and sing along -y. you know no one's going to sing along with Pia Toscano you, you can't you can't keep up with her it's like singing along with Celine Dion you, you can't it's got to be like for the kind of stuff we were writing it's got to be uh you know real simple so so we were we were just writing and demoing and writing and demoing. And I know on the side, Brian was doing some, some stuff with some DJs from Staten Island, doing some remixes and playing the actual musical parts. Cause those guys just knew how to do the, uh, I guess, let's just call it the part, you know, they right. could do the, and then Brian would come in and actually add the actual music and some of the program. So he, he became friends with a lot of those cats over there in Staten Island, big, 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 big DJs. And um, <clears throat> that was sort of how we got in. We got in with some of those DJs mainly um, friends of Brian's. And then, and then we met like some of the more famous DJs like DJ Scribble and Anthony Acid and some of these other guys. And they introduced us to this other producer who was a producer, the first producer we met, who was, I mean, just to make long story short, that was this guy, Rashad Smith, who they call Tumbling Dice. He was a very big producer out of Staten Island who did like uh, doing it for LL and he did Woo Ha for Busta and, and he did um, uh, One More Chance for Biggie. Big, big hit, rap artist. For rap artists and he was signed as a hitman to puffy so he was friends and he would hang around the area and he was friends with some of the djs brian's was, was friends with so you know scribble had said you should listen to some of the stuff these guys are doing and and i think brian played him some of the stuff and it was really poppy and he was like yo it's dope though but i need guys who can play on some of my stuff so we ended up working with him a little bit uh i would say for a year at least a year maybe a little longer we were doing stuff and helping him produce some like LL had a band signed to rock the bells, which was LL's label. Um, it was like a boy band, but it was more of an R and B boy band. So we, we did some songs for them. Uh, we did some stuff that ended up being cut by Carl Thomas, who was signed to bad boy at the time in the late nineties. And a couple of things got cut by um, one song got cut by 50 cent and destiny's child before 50 was big. He was signed to Columbia through the track masters. So, so one of the tracks we did with Rashad, so we were just doing tracks. We were just like track guys. <clears throat> so that's, that's sort of where it all just sort of, I'm making it as you know, quick as you get there. And then uh, we went in one day, uh, we went in on some meetings with Rashad. He brought us with him. And we met with an A&R guy at Jive Records. This guy, Jeff Fenster, who was like a legendary A&R guy. He had signed Britney and Backstreet or co-signed, you know, along with some of the other guys like, uh, that are credited with signing her. And he was listening to some tracks for uh, projects he had going on there at Jive. So Rashad said, let's go play some stuff for Jeff, my friend Jeff. So first time we met him, and he goes, oh, this pop stuff I'm hearing. He goes, I know that's, that's, that's not him. I know what he does. He does like the hard, 
you know, the hard hip hop. Well, who's doing all this pop stuff that you guys have on this, this tape? Um, we were like, that's us. That's what we do. And he was like, shit, who's you publishing with? And we were like, what's publishing? <laughs> we didn't know what that was. You know, like we were like, okay, we have an idea, but we're like, well, we don't, we're not signed anywhere. We're, we just work with him. There's no contracts. And that's what was so cool. I think about Rashad, he really could have probably taken advantage of us and he didn't, he was just cool. He liked what we did and we worked together and we were really like friendly. We hung out. It was, it was great. It was a great time. So he said, you should really meet with the publishing company part of Jive downstairs. It's called Zamba. So about a week later, we go in and we meet with Steve Lunt, who became, you know, an A&R guy later. But in, at that time, he was in publishing. And we met with another guy named Eric Beale. <clears throat> so those were the two guys who were like the pop publishers at, um, at Jive Records Zamba, at Zamba, which was part of Zamba was the umbrella, Jive, Verity, all these other companies were under it. So we, um, we met with Steve. We met with Eric and they were like, you guys are writing like pop songs. Nobody's doing that right now. Nobody does that here in New York. Everybody's hard. They're coming in with this hard shit. You know, we wanted to do that too, but we were writing pop. So they said, hey, listen, we'd love to sign you guys here. They didn't have a lot of money for us. Uh, it wasn't like Sony. It wasn't, it was an independent label and they were taking a huge chance on us because we didn't really come in there with any cuts. We came in there with a Carl Thomas cut, wasn't even released. And we came in there with like a 50 cent. They're like, what, what's a 50 cent? They, you know. Who knew what would, happen, what would happen later? It never really, it wasn't on one of 50's bigger things. It was on Power of the Dollar, which was his first LP. LP wasn't really anything big. It was like, he was really underground battle rapper kind of thing. So they signed us there. And then they would just start giving us the, you know, back in those days, Dean, they would give you like a piece of paper. They'd give you like a piece, this is just a mailer, but they'd give you like a piece of paper and say, hey, there, <clears throat> these are the the, the artists at uh, Columbia, MCA. This is these are the artists at Epic. Dave Massey at Epic is looking for. He's looking for songs for this person, this person, this person. So and so over at uh, MCA is looking for this person. And then here at Jive, we're looking for. We just signed this kid, Aaron Carter. He's twelve. He's related to Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys. Yada yada yada. So maybe you have some ideas for him. So that's once, you know, once we got signed there, we just started working right away. So the first project they gave us, I think was probably Aaron. I think that was the first thing because that got us noticed in the building because they gave us an assignment. Like, you know, he's, he's an okay singer, but what would you guys do with him? And, uh, you know, we're thinking. You mean Aaron Carter, right? Yeah, yeah, Nick's brother. So we were like, he passed away sadly last November. What people don't know um, is it's Aaron Carter, Nick's brother, the Backstreet Boys. So, I'm sorry, yeah. I thought I said that. My apologies. All right. Um. So, so Aaron was signed there, right around the time we were signed there. Um, and I remember signing our deal. Also, our attorney at the time was very, it was it was a very good place to be. So we had Steve Lunt, who was the publisher, who later on became Britney's A and R guy, and then we had Larry Rudolph as our attorney, who became Britney's manager. So Brittany was already blown up in 99. We signed in 99. So she already exploded like that month we signed there. And he was like, look, the first album's done. She's exploding. The second album, we already have it kind of in the can. We recorded it while we were doing the first. That's why the second and the first are almost the same. If you read her book, um, she even talks about how some, I think it was already done. Like they did it in like two weeks, the rest, whatever they had to finish up. So did, so so did you read her new book? I have it sitting right there. I didn't read it yet. <laughs> I did buy it because I love her. She she was always very sweet to me. But um, 
so so Aaron was the first thing. Uh, there was a couple other little things, but Aaron was the first. So so we were like, okay, what about like a what about a young MC, Will Smith, all that shit that would have been cool in the '80s might be cool for a little twelve-year-old white kid to do now. So we kind of did something like that, and we came up with Aaron's party. We're like, what would he, do? you know, uh, that you know, uh, it was about a kid who threw a house party, got in trouble with his parents. We're like, that's perfect for a little tween kid. And then the thing exploded. You know, it went, it sold two million singles um, back into, I guess, around 2000 or 99. I can't remember exactly when it was released, right around there. Um, and then that they got a, we got noticed in the building at that point. And then they started throwing other projects at us. But that was, I think that was the first one. Some of the other stuff that was thrown at us was like Together, which was like a movie TV show for MTV of like a fake Spinal Tap boy band kind of thing. So we did that too. And that, that was number one on TRL. That was hilarious. That was supposed to be a joke. And it was kind of a joke. It was like you plus me equals us calculus. It was just crazy. They were like, whatever Spinal Tap would do if they were a boy band, we need you to do that. So we said, okay, the Bohemian Rhapsody of boy band songs. We came up with that. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's, that's what we were thinking. But like, that's kind of how it all started was that Aaron thing, getting signed there. Mm -hmm. And then, and then and where then, did it go from Aaron? After Aaron, I'm trying to think of the order of things. Clive Calder, who was the owner of Zamba, he was an older man from South Africa. He was the nicest man. Um, he said, I, I want to meet the guys who did the Aaron thing. So they bring us up to his office and he gives us an idea. And he says, listen, I'm really good friends with Shaquille O'Neal. If you can get if you could come up with something with Aaron and Shaquille O'Neal, like in a song, and we're like sitting there like, okay, all right. We're just writing notes, like whatever this guy says, we're going to go do it. And I think we wrote it that night or that next day and submitted it. And we came up with the next single while they were still making the record. Cause the first single um, was, was, was blowing up on Nickelodeon. Uh, it was called that's how I beat Shaq. And then that sold platinum that song. And then the album went platinum. So after that, after we did like the kid thing, he, he was like, Hey, listen, you know, well, really most of the day-to-day the -day dealings were with Eric Beal or Steve Lunt, Steve Lunt mainly being our mentor who I'm still friendly with to this day. Um, he wrote Shebop and he wrote Goonies. He wrote a lot of eighties stuff too. You know, he's, he was a writer. So he knew how to talk to writers that was, which was so great about him being our uh, publisher because most publishers they don't know how to write. They don't know anything about music, really, or a &Rs. A lot of them are lawyers. So Steve actually was a musician and a writer. Uh, <clears throat> so for so How I Beat Shaq came out, exploded. The album came out, was number two in the country. It was crazy. Aaron just blew up. So the next thing they came to us with through Clive was, um, I'm not going to go song by song, but it was, it was the next level for us to work with a superstar, which was uh, Britney Spears. They're like, she needs like a Christmas song. So what would you do? for Britney. And we're thinking, well, if we're going to do this, it just can't be what she does. It can't be that bang, 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 you know, the big, like, it can't be that Swedish thing because everybody's going to be submitting that. There's going to be freaking 80,000 writers submitting Christmas songs for Britney. So we said, all right, let's just go to the piano, shut off, you know, everything in the room. We went and sat at the piano and we wrote it as a song and we wrote it as like a sixties Phil Spector swing. And it ended up being my only wish this year, but it went through transformations. Like we rewrote it like four times, five times. 
we wrote it as a sad song first, then Steve Wan. So your so your first Britney song was the my Christmas only wish is correct. Yeah, that was written twenty three years ago. This past summer uh, was the Christmas song, okay. and then they sent us to L.A. that summer, and they said we're going to use it. We love it, and it sounded like Phil Spector. He kind of that was the vibe, like uh, Darlene Love. <clears throat> Uh, so they sent us out to LA and that's when we met her for the first time. And uh, from there we developed a relationship and that's really what that business you realize is what it's about. Cause she just, you know, are we the best? No. Were we the best? No, but we were funny. We were easy to work with. We were, we're not like assholes. Brian and I are, we're, Brian and I were best friends since we were 16. So we were like, banter our banter was hilarious Brittany loved being in the room with us so she was like on my next album I want to hang out with these guys and write some stuff so we developed that from recording that Christmas song um it all kind of really the bigger stuff I, I guess in a sense came from there we we had a couple other opportunities with Backstreet Boys as well where we became friendly with with Howie and Nick but all that all developed over time but Brittany was so, really so, the so, first so so sticking on to my only wish, is it me? Sure. I'll digress. Or does it seem like or I'm does the it seem king like of digressing? <laughs> no, 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 no. Great stuff. This is great. No, great. Great, interesting. So my only wish. Like, is it me or does it feel like that song grew in popularity? Yeah, you know, I have a, a another podcaster friend of mine. And he is always sending me stats and he's like, oh my God, it's in Britney's top three. It's in Britney's top two. It's, it's, it just went gold as a single. It was never released as a single. It was really, it went platinum on the album, which is over here, hanging behind me right there. It on, um, it's called platinum Christmas. I don't know how many times platinum it is now, but I got that plaque back in 2001. And that's got Whitney. Britney is the lead off song. I mean, we couldn't have been handed a cooler situation. So it was Brittany, Brandy, Monica. Um, it was Whitney. It was uh, Joe, who just went by the name Joe. I don't know his last name. Uh, he was signed to Jive also. So, um, R. Kelly. I'm not supposed to talk about him anymore, but I still liked his music. He was great. Um, what else was on them? Everybody was on that. Jars of Clay he was even on there. Um, so it came out on that. And the reason we wrote it was for that album. And then it came out. It was never released as a single. We thought, oh, shit, what if she films a video? It'll be like all I want for Christmas. None of that ever happened. But yeah, over the years, it became a little bit of a culty pop classic with, with Britney's audience. And, and to this day, it's the only, the only song she ever recorded for Christmas. She never did another Christmas song. Like, so, she never did, like, a Christmas album. Just Yeah, it was kind of like a one-off, right? It was a one-off, and it went gold on the 24th of October this year. I got a call and they were like hey there's a it's a gold single now and i was like oh shit i had no idea sorry you gotta edit out my curses i apologize musician no, no, no. please oh no you can listen. <laughs> i'm you also know. a realtor so we curse even more you're lucky um, i don't have a bottle of uh, absolute on my desk right now so now so that so the so basically you write with britney spears had a lot of fun that resulted mm -hmm. you into like working with her additional songs for her follow. And what was her, what was that follow-up album that she had? Or what was the album that she released after My Only Wish? Okay, so when we recorded My Only Wish, she was just releasing Stronger, which was on the second album. Right. Uh, so that album was already out. Max and the Swedish Sharon crew, who got, those guys are amazing. They did, you know, the whole album. Um, 
So the third album was called Just Britney, which is, uh, it, it's tie-dye. The plaque is kind of it's a really, where am I? It's, it's up there. Right, right yep. there. Um, that sold, I mean, that's, that plaque's for four million, but I think since then it's sold seven or eight million. I don't know how many copies. That sold a lot of copies. But that album came out after 9-11. We recorded the whole thing the summer of 2001. And then it was released in November of 2001. And it was released in a different world, a totally different world than it was recorded in. You know, not that we were writing about what was going on in the world, but the, but the world changed after. Right, 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 right. No, totally. Com completed to when it was released. So, you know, uh, I didn't expect it to, I was like, oh my God, who knows what the future of the world holds, let alone you know, the album and everything, but, but, but we, we spent a lot of time together. Um, the way that worked was she was filming a movie that was called Crossroads and it was, it was written by Shonda Rhimes, actually a really big film writer now. Um, I didn't even know Shonda wrote it because I have a copy of the script sitting over there and I was like, oh shit, I didn't realize it was Shonda Rhimes. And uh, Tamara Davis directed it, who I think her, I think she did Fast, did she do Fast Times or Clueless? She did one of those. One of the, but she was also her, her, I was more interested in talking to her about her husband, who was MCA from the Beastie Boys. Um, I was like, because I'm such a big fan. But um, so while Brittany was filming Crossroads, she had a ton of downtime. So they said, listen, Brittany's never written a song before. She had mentioned you guys by name. She's like, those guys were fun. I think it'd be fun to write with them to try. So, so the first time Brittany tried to write was, was in the room with us. You know, at least that was what we were told. It was the first time she really sat down and tried to be incorporated into the process of writing. So we had taken out a studio on La Brea and Sunset, way up in Hollywood there. Uh, and they just, during breaks in filming, the bodyguard would drive her to us and we would spend a few hours in the studio. She'd be back and forth when she's needed on set. And... Um, the first couple of things we came up with and we were just recording demos and the demos ended up just getting used on that third album. So we must've recorded anywhere from eight to 12 songs. And I think like six made the deluxe, I think four on the American version and like, you know how like the English version has like 13 or 14, I don't know, it's prorated differently. There's like 18 songs sometimes. It's like a little different. We ended up with like six or seven on the, cause I know there was one I did with BT Brian and I did actually two songs with BT, Brian Tranzo, the, the trance artist. They brought him in who did pop for NSYNC. And then we did, uh, I think that was that album. I think that was the third album because we worked on the third and the fourth. Uh, so, so let me ask you this. So when, when you're writing on this album, okay, so mm -hmm. basically on the, um, you know, it's not just you writing on the album. There's a bunch of other writers. So when just, do, just do you me find and Brian. those and Brittany. Huh? Oh, on the album. I'm sorry. I thought you meant in the room. Yes, it was Brian, Curl, and myself, who was KNS. Right. And but, but on Brittany. the album, but on the album, you have an artist writing with a bunch of different writers. Like, do you feel like, you know, you're just going in and writing with the artist, but do you feel when all of a sudden there's competition among the writers, not like mm -hmm. between you, but the other writers of of you know having their song get released, their song get marketed. Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, well, we knew that the odds of us having like the lead single were probably slim. I mean, you're competing with um, Max Martin, you know, 
uh, the Neptunes. Uh, it was just, we were just a couple guys from New Jersey, right? So we were up and coming, but we had Rodney Jerkins was working on stuff. Yeah, Max, Rodney, Rami. Uh, I'm sure Diane Warren was submitting songs. But think about Clive that was interesting is he, he always had incentive to use Zamba writers over an outside writer for the album cuts and for, for some things because he wanted to own everything. He was very right. smart about it. He was smart about it because he owned Zamba Publishing and he owned Jive Records. So he would use mostly Zamba stuff. So Makes we, sense. Uh, yeah, so we, you know, and in our deal, we were only allowed to work outside of Zamba Umbrella on like three to four things a year, which honestly, we ended up doing more than nobody ever really cared. We probably went over that, but you know, listen, it's still bringing the company money. I don't think they cared, but they said we had a production deal there and we had a producer deal there. So it was both. One means like, hey, you got to give us 10 songs. We're going to give you this much money. And the, the, the publishing deal was a little different. You're not guaranteed placements, but the production deal was a little bit different where they're you know, they're paying you to produce in advance and they're going to have you work on, I worked on Nick Cannon. I don't think that ever came out. He was young at the time. He didn't have any kids yet. Now he's got like 37. We worked on um, just a bunch of shit they had there, you know, um, other than Britney Backstreet and um, so, so when you work, when you work with Britney, like at the time, mm-hmm. I mean, was it like, did, did it feel like you were just working with a girl you went to high school with? Like, this is just a girl who I met like, a million times before in high school or do you feel that you know she was a little different than any other girl who you've met previously in your life i can say i can speak for myself but i'm pretty sure brian had the same sentiment the first time we met her we were sitting at the console and she walked in we heard her voice and i remember we looked at each other we're like oh god you know and i know we were both thinking in our heads like don't fuck this up this is it this is like a superstar in the room we're here we're doing this we got her behind us that was my only wish but when we did the album uh, and we were just hanging out and ordering food and writing, there was no intimidating factor at all. She is the coolest fucking chick on the planet. She is a, just a sweet Southern. I mean, I can't say more nice things about her. I adore her to this day. She is, I don't, I, I hate seeing all the negative stuff. I feel bad for whatever's going on. I don't really get it. I, I don't know if it's mental illness. It's none of my business, but I also, I really like her as a person and she was never anything but sweet to us. Uh, everyone around her, her management. Well, well, you say, you say you don't get it. I don't know. It's like, I run social media. Um, yeah. I, I have my own little kind of site that I run that talks about some hot topics, but yeah, One thing, I love your site. I watch it all the time. Thank you. I don't I don't really pick sides, but all I know of that girl is Brittany. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She gives you content to talk about. I, I I guess, and maybe she's a genius, or maybe it's <laughs> psychosis. I don't I don't know. I mean, I had a mother who was schizophrenic. I grew up with schizophrenia in the house. I've seen it firsthand. I don't I'm not saying that she has. I don't know. Sometimes people are just geniuses like Tom Waits. And, you know, and you got that. He's just a, just a crazy genius. Um, you just don't know. Um, Brittany, though, as a human being, was so fucking sweet. Like, just, you couldn't even get coffee for her. I'll get it, y'all. No problem. I'll get it myself. Don't, don't, don't. Sit, sit. Like, just a Southern, sweet, raised, it seemed like she was raised like a nice girl. And this was, this was the most famous person on the planet Earth you're sitting next to, next to Michael Jackson. And she was so kind. 
And I just don't really ever remember. It's 20 years ago, 2001. Yeah, it was more than that. That first time we were with her. And then it just got easier and easier and easier because you became a friend, you have a rapport. And now, you know, I remember we bought her a guitar for her birthday. Like we got to know her. We, we became, we became cool. And she was a great person. Uh, um, I don't know where it all went downhill. I, I, I guess it was a little bit after our time with her when that stuff with the shaved head and all that kind of the umbrella, the famous pictures. She talks about it in her book. So if you know what, I'm going to say, if you want to know about that, maybe read her book. To, and, yeah, no, I, I, I yeah. like to. I mean, yeah, listen, she's a... Um... Because I can't speak. I wasn't there from 2004. Right, totally. yeah, I mean, Britney, I, you know, Br Britney has really is is truly an enigma in the sense yeah. that she is i mean i can't think of any other kind of pop star that has been more talked about and she's been and she's been michael michael, michael. about it yeah right and britney's been part of a lot of these defining moments in in history like one she was part of that defining moment of music in general right i mean it went from hard rock to serious mm -hmm. to like pop you know britney yeah, yeah then, she brought back yeah, yeah, yeah. gibson and then she was part of a new movement of you know the whole paris hilton lindsay lohan britney spears mm -hmm. she was part of that social like kind of yeah movement so you know she's been part of these interesting movements um and you know i i see like various comments on britney i mean you see people have taken now sides on her um mm -hmm. you know you you obviously have her father she was in this conservatorship with her father and people yeah. are like, right people are like oh no you're trapped you're free this is abuse where the other person is like no she needs that this is for her protection. I, I don't know enough to comment i uh, do totally. know that yeah totally but but i'm just no i'm just saying these no, are absolutely. all the sides people have just, taken just chatting but but i can't tell you how many times because i was anonymous my whole career i tried to stay away from social social media didn't exist really in sure 2010s and at that point our hot point of if we put anything out there there was nothing in 2003 2004 you go out party get stoned go back to your car stumbling half naked back to your hotel room in hollywood no one's gonna catch it the paparazzi maybe but now the whole fucking universe is out there with, with the you know what i'm saying that doesn't really that didn't happen in those days um wherever i went to a party it was no cameras allowed no cameras allowed people you know if you had a camera and it was like one of you know, my wallet but it was like a flip phone it was like a shitty camera and you couldn't really tell right right right, right um but i mean my time with her brian and i's time with her she was very sweet she wasn't um she was going through that whole phase where she, she talks about in the first couple chapters i read a little bit when she was dating colin farrell we remember her that night she told us about it the next day um she goes i went out on a date with colin farrell i'm like i didn't know who that was she goes you see minority report i was like oh that movie's dope i was like which one is he you know she's like the cop i was like oh shit that movie's sick so i was like wow tell him i said hi i don't know how do i react to that so she was it was during the breakup was the fourth album in the zone and we were working with her a lot in hollywood at the time not as much as the, the third album but that was the time when she broke up with Justin. During the third album, she was dating Justin. So we were there for all of that. We, we met Justin a ton of times. And uh, he was also a very nice guy, actually. You want to not like him because he's, like, talented and handsome. But he's actually really sweet. 
the guy in the room, he's like, hey, and you remembered our names? Hey, Josh. I'm like, how the hell do you know who I am? And he's like, Brittany talks about you guys. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, this is so weird that Justin Timberlake knew who we were when he walked in the room. Um, but we didn't, we didn't get a chance to work with him or in sync, just Backstreet. We worked with Backstreet. But, um, I, 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 you know, what, what, what went on after, I, I don't really know. I mean, I guess, I guess uh, if a court of law saw, you know, saw it fit to do that, but I, I, it scared me a little bit, like just from a liberty perspective, like if somebody wants to be crazy and they're wealthy, that's up to them. Unless they're a danger to others or themselves, I don't sure. see how you could. How do you give somebody's rights or take their rights essentially and then give those rights to someone else? I, I don't see how it's a terrifying slippery slope legally states, but I'm not an, an attorney. I'm just, just from an American. I'm like, that's so fucked up to me that you can do that to somebody right. sort of take, take over their world. And now they need permission to do things. Like if I'm crazy and I want to go through my money, I'm going to just go do it. If I want to go, I mean, if I want to go buy 80 Labrador retrievers, I'm gonna just. Well, well I, I get it. Well, I, I, and by the way, I never, I don't even, I never heard of it because, sir, like most people, this yeah. is a new concept to me. I never heard of it. Yeah. What I just gathered, though, is to get something like that is through, it has to be through probably like a court order. And I'm Gu just using, and I have no idea, but I'm assuming you know, they call it that a, a guardianship in New Jersey, where the state takes possession of the elderly who is, a, is considered incapacitated right, or unable right, exactly. it's a guardianship what jersey does have as a state we have that like where the state like say you have no next of kin that's a guardianship I, that i can tell you like a person maybe who's mentally disabled like a child with downs who whose parents maybe have grown older right. and they pass away and now that child is now the state and they have to use the money and that's a guardianship i don't know but what, what Brittany went through she's a young adult so they would have had to convince the court of law that she's not mentally she was, stable. Correct. Yeah, there would, you would need to have a lot of evidence to support that that she can't. Uh, I mean, it's so, so after so after so after Britney. So so you you write a bunch of songs, mm -hmm. and then what happened on her follow up record? Were you involved in that? Yeah, um, we wrote a bunch of songs on in. Um, it's just called Britney. I'm sorry. We did Anticipating, Lonely, right. Let Me Be, That's Where You Take Me. And then uh, a, a few others like uh, Before the Goodbye and a couple of others that weren't on the American, oh, I Run Away, right. that are on the English release. So I'm the king of digressing, by the way. I'm going to jump all over, Dean. So keep me. Oh, oh no, no, no. No, because me here's, here's my question. My question is, so when did, here's really my question is, when did it kind of, when did it stop? When were you like, okay, we're okay. gonna work with Britney? It wasn't our choice, believe me, we would have kept going. It was when she changed management and changed, you know, the A&R was no longer involved and she got involved with some speedy guy in LA. Um, so, so the fourth album, In The Zone, worked closely again, just like the third album, it was Steve Lunt, it was Larry Rudolph who was the manager, Steve was the A&R, Clive was the president of Jive, I'm sorry, the owner of Jive, Barry Weiss, was the president of Jive. So it was really just those four people were the only people we communicated with. They were all very great, uh, you know, easy people to deal with. And so the fourth album came along. It was um, same situation. They're like, hey, you guys want to fly back out to L.A.? Brittany wants to start writing for the fourth album. She asked if you guys were available. I was like, uh, yeah, let me think. Yes. So they're like, can we fly you out tomorrow night? And what's, this is actually kind of funny. 
we had a flight booked and then Larry Rudolph called and said, Hey, you know, Brittany's jet is in, um, Teterboro. If you guys want to jump on it, she's, she's leaving in like three hours. You guys want to jump on her jet with her. She'll, you could just fly with her. I was like, okay. <laughs> so it was, we run over to Teterboro airport. We, it was Brian, me, Brittany, big Rob, her bodyguard and Q, her head of security and the pilot. And we flew to LA together. And she's just like, y'all mind if I take a nap? So she slept, but Brian and I were just like, more, like, I can't believe we're flying out here on her G4, you know, or whatever the hell it was. So the next night we, in LA, we started writing for the fourth album. So the fourth album, you want me to get to where we stopped is, yep. you know, after the fourth album, she had another tour. It was super successful. That was the tour with like me against the music and Madonna was on the song and all that. Uh, what else happened on that album? I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at the record. It's, it's hanging over there. Uh, she had a, oh, Toxic was on it. It was a monster a hit record. And she, um, I guess she went through a phase where she started just dating toxic people and hanging around really horrible people that were taking advantage of her maybe. And um, she fired, I think she, at the time, I think she hired a different manager and Larry Rudolph is fucking amazing. He's an amazing lawyer, an amazing manager. He was our lawyer. He was the best. He was a great guy. He was down to earth. He was easy to deal with. He wasn't a shyster. I think maybe she just, maybe at that age of 22, 23, maybe you just feel like you need control and you, you just, because you want control so bad. Again, this is all hypothetical, but maybe you're just want to take the reins so bad. You're willing to do whatever it takes just to make bad decisions fast. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. you're just trying to, you're just trying to like gain, you know, feel con- like you have control. But in reality, you're actually dismissing all of these people that kept you stable and grounded. And because the people that were around her were good people to this day, these are good people um, that weren't caught up in any nonsense, like some of the folks she was associating herself with at the time. So after that, her sound changed. She started going a little bit more, just it was just different. We weren't really. Steve at that time had left Jive Records and went to Atlantic Records, who was the NR, and he started ARing at Atlantic. So uh, the NR was gone, the manager was gone. We weren't really involved any longer, if that makes any sense. So the fifth yeah. album might have been Circus. I'm not sure what the fifth album was. I thought it was, was Black, wasn't it Blackout? It might have been Blackout. I, I'm not really, was that the one with Womanizer? I can't remember that was but I know was she... like well black blackout okay so your last record you did with her was in the zone in the zone so yeah black i'm by the way i'm looking this up i wouldn't know this like yeah, yeah. um so blackout blackout is her fifth album and i kind of okay. remember uh that blackout is the one where she started people started questioning her like i found the album before she's good but when blackout came out um, she had that song called Give Me More and she uh, gained a little bit of weight and YouTube started gaining popularity. And I remember some that see once again. So when Blackout came out, there's a pivotal shift in culture. Um, social media ramps up, YouTube right. ramps up. Yeah. And I right, I remember and Britney Spears, I think during at that time, um, I'm not sure she shaved her head then, but uh she comes out with Give Me More some guy comes out i think one of his first in his kind with a parody video of britney but he's doing it singing give me more oh. give me more so that this this is when things start to unravel could have been i know that the paparazzi was harassing the hell out of her i remember this the head shaving incident 
I haven't seen her since. Um, we did, uh, you know, a couple other projects from that point, but not not for her, for Jive, for other artists. And internationally, we had huge hits in Australia. Number two, we had like with Gia Farrell, we had Hit Me Up, which was like number two, with Ricky Coulter. Ricky Lee Coulter, we had, uh, I think it was number two or four in it, with a song called um, uh, Can't Touch It. So we, 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 we uh, ended up doing a lot more international because pop was changing a little bit too. So we were working on a lot more international stuff. But uh, so when, yeah, when did was, things lead to Gaga? When, 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 now, when did things to working with Lady Gaga? Okay. Uh, so we had a studio on 38th Street. Uh, it was around that time. We had we hired after Britney and all that. We we finally broke down and because um, we were working on mostly international stuff. We and by the way, tired. last is there anything else you worked between Gaga and Britney? Any other kind of pop artist? Yeah, the Backstreet Boys, Willa Ford. Willa Ford, I had a big hit called "I Want to Be Bad," okay, which was top twenty in two thousand and one ish, I think, or two thousand two thousand one. How was um, she? How, how what was she like to work with? I'm just regular girl from Ruskin, Tampa. Um, she was a country girl. She was, I, I think she ended up marrying like a super famous hockey player. Uh, okay. I think she's uh, Mike, Mike Madano or something and okay. um, has kids now. Um, we worked on a ton of jives, like in um, the, the girl group they had. I can't remember the name of anything. It wasn't like huge. Um, we worked on a ton of stuff all, all over because at the time, like we, we, it was, we weren't really doing much with Britney. What else? A 3LW. In that time frame, 3LW was a pretty big R&B group. Uh, with um, they became the Cheetah Girls later. Mm -hmm. Looking around the room here, but Willow was a big hit for us. That was her, not so much she being big, but the song was was top twenty in the early two thousands. Uh, I did Backstreet Boys, the third album. Brian and I wrote a song mm -hmm. with AJ with AJ McLean called "Yes I Will," which was on the Black and Blue album that sold a lot of copies. That that was around the same time in the early two thousands. So we we made it down to Transcon saw. saw the whole transcon operation which is a shit that was a shit show down there uh with lou perlman the guy who was the biggest one yeah of the yeah oh yeah, yeah 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 so we got to hang out and we got to meet him which was interesting uh so gaga came from uh i don't know why there's balloons is that me i don't know but that's kind of weird i never oh, i never saw balloons go up the fucking clown gonna come <laughs> I mean, my pants unless, unless we're some kind of <laughs> my son was was pennywise yesterday too that's what's freaky but he's not here so so um i'm glad you saw it too and i know i'm not no, no no i no. haven't done it okay no i know I, I you know what's funny is i don't know what that was i've never seen that in my okay. life and that i'm like so awesome i'm not on anything for the record i'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking totally behind sober. me i thought it was you i mean I'm totally i have totally no idea sober. how it went up <laughs> super sober so, so anyway, my, we're gonna um, remember this day because you're like, there's one time I did a Zoom and just balloons yeah, went off. and balloons. So, so we, uh, our management team, uh, we hired a management team called New Heights around 2005, uh, six in that range. They had a couple producers under them: Rob Fusari, Red One, us, a couple of other guys, and. Um, they were managing Gaga as an artist. They really didn't do a lot of artist management. But the reason they took over Gaga's management is because she was signed to this team love child thing with Rob. She wasn't really thrilled. If you remember the news, she ended up suing him or he sued her. He sued her actually. I think it was the other way around and they were dating. There was like a thing, you know, I know there was like a thing there. You never do that. 
you just don't date the artist. Everybody knows that standard stuff never works out. But uh, so Gaga was signed to Def Jam. L.A. Reid didn't really understand what they were trying to do. So he dropped it. He actually dropped her. Uh, I don't think he would have known what to do. He's, he's amazing at Rihanna, Usher. He, he does that. He does what he does. But, but, but Gaga's not, that's not for him. That's a Jimmy Iovine thing. And that's, that's where she wound up. And that worked out really well. But uh, during that time period when she was dropped, the management team brought her to us and said, we sat down with her and we're like, well, what, what do you, what do you feel? What do you want to do? Like, what do you think? And she was very, very cool. She was, she's not Britney. She was a New Yorker. She's a little more standoffish um and a little bit more she was a totally different type of human being than britney spears uh in a good way just a different type of person just a new yorker that's all i can say so mm -hmm. a lot you know italian girl from new york so it's not a southern girl from from louisiana right, totally. like, yeah hi y'all oh my god bless your heart that was wonderful like god i love what you did that's britney god guys like i guess that's cool yeah <laughs> like yeah total slower lived on the Lower East Side. And she was like, okay, here's what I'm listening to. I'm listening to the Scissor Sisters. I'm listening to, um, you know, whatever was big at the time. I, I'm listening to blonde, a lot of Blondie, uh, this, that. So, so we wrote three songs together. I wish she had just told me she wanted to do dance music because we would have done that. But she told Brian and I she wanted to do like 1970 CBGBs, Lower East Side, Blondie. And so we did a song called Summer Boy, which was exactly that we felt with the disco drum beat and the guitars and the bass. It felt like uh, the, the cardigans almost meets Blondie, you know, something like that. And uh, that was the one that made the record. So that came out on the fame. The other two songs we did, one was called Panty Party. And the other one was called Heiress, which was about like Paris Hilton and about the, you know, being an heiress on social media and all that. Those two didn't make the record. And then they changed the, that years went by, like two years went by since we worked with her. I hadn't talked to her, talked to her maybe once. And then she ended up just being a writer in LA and she was writing for the Kids on the Block and she was writing for other people. And then she was signed to Jimmy Iovine through Vincent Herbert uh, over there at uh, Interscope through, I think it was Akon's label. She was under Akon's label. So uh, they made the record. We found out our song Summer Boy was going to be on it. We were like, cool. And then Just Dance came out and then poof, she exploded. And we're like, oh, thank God we got one of those on there. Because that just turned into a massive, massive album. And then she released The Fame Monster, which was a double album, which was a totally different album. But then she included the songs from The Fame on that. And that sold another. So I think it was a total. It was like, yeah, the plaques is 14 million albums that our song was on because she re-released it. Um, you know, it was like a happy Hanukkah Marv kind of moment, right? It was like, right, a, totally because she re-released the album, uh, with our song and it was prorated differently because it was a double album, of course. But, uh, so that was our experience with her. I mean, we wrote with her, you know, maybe 10 times, maybe nine or 10 times together. We got along really well, but when she moved out to LA uh, and she left New York, we kind of lost touch a little bit and she just kind of was just writing. She was just I think she was just being a writer. That was the one conversation on the phone that I had with her. And then I hadn't talked to her since. And then, you know, Just Dance came out, like you said. And then, boom. After that, we spoke to her one time, I think, on the phone through our management. And then what, what was really cool, though, is um, The Fame was nominated for, um, it, was it was nominated for Album of the Year, which we lost to Taylor Swift. But, uh, and then... 
we actually won. It was it was it was nominated for album of the year, and it was also nominated for um, dance album, electronic dance album of the year. And that one we actually won. So we have a Grammy for uh, dance album, but we lost to Taylor for the. Uh, it was nominated for album of the year. That would have been nice. kind of cool. That would have been pretty cool. So we did win a Grammy for the. Uh, the best dance recording album or whatever that category was that was done earlier in the day, you know, the earlier in the day awards that come across yeah, the screen yeah. at the bottom, you know, they, there's so many Grammy awards. So we did go that year to the 2010 Grammys. And that was kind of neat. Cause you're sitting there and like Ringo stars, like, you're like, Holy shit. You know, I mean, I just, all I could think of was my dad who had been dead for nine years. Like I'm sitting here and Ringo Starr walks by and Beyonce walks by and, you know, I'm like, who's this in the skirt? It was Kesha. I'm just like, you're just like sort of in a trance at the insanity. You know, you go to pee and Andy Samberg is standing next to you. You know, it's just insanity. That was the only time I ever went to the Grammys. And it was me and Brian and we brought our artist Gio with us uh, at the time who was um, signed to us. Uh, so that, that was the Gaga thing. That was around 2007. We worked with her, but then it didn't come out for a couple of years. So that, that kept us in the business a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, so when did he we, wrap it up? Like, so when did he wrap up me, your full experience of the business? Cause my partner, my former partner is still in the business. You know, uh, I, uh, around 2014 is when I wrapped it up. Uh, Brian and I decided to go our separate ways as writers and he wanted to, you know, do his own thing. And I said, you know, I, I guess I'll do my own thing, you know, too. And I, I did it for a couple of months. And then I just kind of was like, you know what? I don't really have, I guess I was just, just turned 40. And I was just like, I, I don't think I have anything else to say uh, right. for now. At, at least I felt like Forrest Gump, you know, I don't think that's about that. And I, uh, I said, I think I want to do something different just to kind of just shake and just live a, a regular life. And I had the difference between Brian and I mainly was that I had, I had two children and he didn't have any yet, you know, at the time. So I was, I was just having a little bit of anxiety to be completely honest about not being home enough with my children. And that was a big part of, uh, of that as well. So I, uh, I decided to uh, become a real estate investor and they uh, kind of happened quick. It happened very quickly. I learned the business pretty quickly. And then I ended up becoming an actual realtor you know, along and I just, I just did that 10 for the last 10 years. And that's, it's been, it's been um, something that uh, right now it's a crazy business, but, but for the last 10 years, it's been great. And I, uh, I just kind of left the music thing behind me and people, people started tracking me down, like the free Britney movement. They tracked me down, tried to hack me. I laughed because I'm like, I know this isn't Larry Rudolph emailing me and the guy's like, I'm so sorry. We just want to help Brittany. Can you send it? You know, they, they would say, Hey, Josh, it's Larry. Could you send me those demos from 2000? I'm like, dude, Larry would never do that. He would call me. You know, I even texted Larry. He goes, are you asking me for Brittany demos? And he was like, no, he goes, Oh my God, let me notify, you know, our, let me notify her team of what's going on. So they've tried to hack me. I've gotten a lot of phone calls. People, are you the same Josh Schwartz? Usually I say no. But it was easy to be anonymous in those days. Now it's tough. So now I own it. Now I put, put it out there on my own Facebook. I'm like, you know what? I did write those songs. And um, it was fun. You know, I, I had a blast. Uh, I had the best writing partner. I mean, he was my best friend. So it was like, it didn't feel like it, it was ever a day of work. When you're, you know, I'm hanging out with Brian all day. We're writing songs. We would, um, you know, it was just fun. So I have no... Uh, you know, there was always your, a bad experience here and there, but nothing that crazy. 
you know, I've seen weirder shit in real estate, to be honest with you. <laughs> I've met crazier people selling houses than in my 20 years in the music industry. Like in um, what way? In what way? Just people that are just, is it okay to curse on your podcast? Sure. <laughs> I mean, people that are just not even functional as a fucking human being. Like they're just normal everyday guys that have jobs, but like they're so out of sorts. Like they just can't fathom a co- like reality. Like they're just their expectations of things. I've never met a superstar that was as entitled as some of these clients that I've met. And it's rare, but it's happened. And I'm just like, wow, this motherfucker's out of their mind. But I've never said that about Gaga. Like, she's crazy in an eccentric way, in an artistic. If you're an artist and you're crazy, I totally give you a pass. Um, I just feel like because it's kind of a part of it. Like, my craziness is my, I'm funny. Everybody, like, he's the... He's the one who never shuts up. That's my shtick. That's who I am. I own it. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, like the funny guy. I get it. It's a part of being Jewish too, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's just like my culture. So but, let me ask you this. Who would you uh-huh. want to write? We'll, 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 we'll wrap it up with who would sure, you sure. want to write with today? Who would you, who would you love to write with today? Like oh, the new art, you know? I don't know if I'd have the chops, but my favorite artist right now is Zach Bryan. Hands down. I mean, to sit in a room and just, but his music to me, I, it moves me. Like, I like a lot of the, I listen to a lot of pop country music. I'm that guy. I like Morgan Whalen, but it, I get the difference between Morgan Whalen and Zach Bryan. I love Zach Brown. What other pop country artists do you like? I like Carrie Underwood. Um, my wife listens to a lot of it, so I hear it in the car with her. So I just let her put on what she wants because I'm not the boss. So you um, think Zach Bryan is the best new pop country artist? I, I think absolutely hands down is that he, he I like Morgan Whalen too, but when it comes to artists, if you wanna yeah. if you wanna hear a great song Morgan Whalen has got, his music's amazing. It's but it's pop. Uh Dan and Shay, it's great, but it's like pop. But Zach Bryan takes you somewhere. I feel like Zach Bryan takes you on a little bit of a journey. Like you you you're moved by what Zach Bryan is saying and singing. you you really feel moved by it. Like, wow, this guy has seen some shit or felt some shit. And he's taking you there. And that to me is an artist. If, if we're talking about an artist versus a superstar, you know, Morgan is obviously um, a massive, massive success. I like, I love, I love um, the one who looks like a little Shania Twain. Oh my God. Super, super pretty. Uh, uh, Casey Musgraves. I love Casey, Casey Musgraves. Yeah. Love, I love her. She's another one. For my favorite artist other than that, I mean, I listen to Foy Vance nonstop. You can tell I like a lot of depressing stuff. He's an Irish sort of pop, uh, not pop, let's call it uh, soul. Um, when I'm in the car, it's probably Foy Vance, Zach Bryan, Zach Brown, a lot of Zachs. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to give you honest answers. Well, That's what I listen well, to. Oh, so right no, now. so you so you've really dubbed into more like pop country. I think my brain has. I like churches though. I think I like churches is one of my favorite groups and they're like electro pop, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. I feel like they're like, I love their stuff. I love their stuff. So I like everything. I think after 10 years out, I can hear something differently and not work and not go like, who wrote this? Oh, fuck them. This song sucks. Like I'm not like that anymore. Like I listen to it and I go, I really like this song. I wonder who wrote it. And I listen to it like a music lover, not like an asshole songwriter that I was like, uh, you know, 
it's you think real estate's competitive, you know, music is that, but there's like one one spot and a hundred writers are going for it. And it's it's really hard. And if like five percent, if five percent of all of your productivity makes you some money, it's like that's amazing. Because you know how many songs you have to write to get to that one that makes you some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like real estate. You you gotta make a uh, hundred phone calls to get ten appointments to get two listings to sell one of them, right? Um, and we all know those numbers. That's how those, that's how numbers work. That's the only two, th two things I know how to do is write a song and sell a house. And, um, oh, you're more talented I, than that. You, you I have some carpentry skills, but I, I, I mean, but the two things that I do best, I, I, I see, I see a microscope in the background too. So maybe, oh, that's my daughter. daughter. That's my, do oh, my okay. daughter. <laughs> I, I, I said, you keep it in here. It's cool looking. You can leave it in my office. But, uh, my daughter's a STEM uh, student, but my, um, uh, yeah, the, the, my 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell, are, are in, in real estate and in music, uh, way more than 10,000 in music, but in real estate, definitely 10,000 by now. And uh, so I'm an outlier in those two subjects, I'd say, where I could talk about them on, a, on it. When they say, is there something you could talk about on it for hours without, you know, without a script, it would be those two things. Uh, I just, you know, I had a lot of fun. I appreciate being on here and, and you, knowing you all these years and then reconnecting with you is really kind of cool. Um, and uh, I remember going to your shows. I remember going to see Mr. Reality when we were younger. Um, yeah. I'm actually friends with Gordon on Facebook. And I yeah. told him, I told him, I said, dude, you know, you're like such, you're so one of the bigger reasons that I became a songwriter because that's, that's another thing is seeing them. And I'm like, okay, there's a difference here. There's a song here. This is, this is amazing. And like, it got me lis listening to the song as opposed to just like wanting to rock out solo and shred. Like Mr. Reality, who was just a locally famous band, right? I don't think they were nationally huge. It's I funny, I, really... I, I, you know, I would, I reconnect to Gordon here and there, and um, you know, we talk once in a while, and it's a shame because you mentioned that they were local. I mean, I know they opened up for Bon Jovi. I think, yeah. like, but they never, they even, they even reformed as a band called Highway Nine. I remember that, and yeah, yeah, but, but they, they, they never. They, but they never could get that national. They, they never broke out. They could never get that national. He's doing very well right now with that girl Regan. Um, yeah, that when, uh, some some of the stuff they have is fantastic. I heard it. And I loved it. Um, but he's a great guy. He's such yeah, a sweet he's... guy. He was a great guy then when I would meet him backstage or, or, or when I was a kid and I had hair and I was like, you know, I, I told him now we became friends on Facebook. I was like, dude, you are such a huge inspiration. And he was like so supportive and thankful about it. Like he was just so kind. But um, he, I was a huge Mr. Reality fan. And so was John. So was Brian. All yeah. of us. All of us. We would all yeah. huddle up at Club Benet. I don't know. God knows what that place is now. It's probably condos. But yeah. I remember going to see them at the, the other place on uh, 9, the Birch Hill. And then uh, Club Benet or what, some of the other shitholes we used and to And the go other 80s band that was big was American Angel. I remember them. I don't remember being a fan, but I remember them. But uh, Mr. Reality was like, that CD was jammed in my car and it never left. It never left yeah. my CD player, man. Uh, I think I had it on uh, just repeat. Like, God, these, I was just like, these, these are amazing songs. And I know Danny Korchmar was like known as one of the greatest studio musicians of all time. Pretty sure he produced it. Am I wrong? I'm, he may I, have. I'm not sure. I think it might have been him. He's played on every hit in the seventies to the eighties. Like he played. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it was, it was heavy hands involved in that. Uh, but yeah, he was an early, another inspiration. I forgot to mention that to this day. I actually got to tell him.
which was really cool. And I just never make it out anymore because I have little kids. I'm always at soccer training or gymnastics tournaments now. It's just a different life. But, um, but I had a lot of fun and I get the itch. But when I feel creative, I, I'm a, I do photography. I fart around with carpentry just to get out some of the anxiety because songwriting really helped me with my anxiety because um, I have terrible anxiety growing up. So uh, it helps. I didn't realize how much it helped until I stopped writing. So keeping busy is something that helps me with it. Um, you know, I'm an antsy person, as you, if, if, if your listeners can't already tell from this interview. I have a type, little Type A text. personality. I guess to a degree. I'm, I'm type B with my wife because she's the boss here. I don't fuck around. I don't want to get clipped. She's Italian. I'm Jewish. I know what happens when you piss off an Italian woman. I'm not even trying to go there. <laughs> But I will say, uh, I just, you know, you always want to be doing something creative. So I do still write some things. I do not songs so much, but, you know, I'll write down ideas. And I'd, I'd like to write maybe some things eventually in the future, but not music, maybe more stuff for kids or something like that. Uh, you know, something a little different. I want to, you know, be creative again, but in a different way. You know, that, that'll be something well, that I do soon. Yeah, right, we're, listen, we're all creative beings. It's, it's what, however you want to manifest that creativity through music, through books, through art, yeah. through paint, whatever yeah. it is. Absolutely. Everybody's got a story in them, man. Every single human being on the planet has a story in them worth talking about, you know, worth, worth hearing about. And I think they even said that in a, in a Hollywood uh, How to Write a Script book. Everybody's got a story. So it's just a matter of, uh, you know, if it's personal it. or not, um, telling it, how to tell it, you know, it's a play, is it a poem? I've heard some poems that move me. You're like, wow, that's unbelievable. Um, just, but yeah, but to, to sum it all up, I, I uh, was lucky to work with a couple of people that are still relevant to this day. You know, Brittany's still relevant. They're talking about her like crazy lately because of the book and they re-released, um, the way I find out is through Facebook. People tag me all the time. Um, some of her fans from Europe, they're constantly, they, they realized I was the same Josh and they're tagging me and telling me about Crossroads. They're tagging me and telling me about the book. So I ordered it. I, you know, I'll support her. I'll check it out. I, I always adored her. I thought she was a great person. And um, I appreciate the fact that I had the opportunity to uh, create with her and, uh, you know, have, we had a lot of fun. She actually, in the third album she wrote, a special little thank you to Brian and I. It said thank you for making me feel so comfy, like in in an uncomfortable situation. She'd never written before, so she actually wrote that in the liner notes when we used to have liner notes back in those days. So that was something that was really cool. Um, we were actually invited to her twenty first birthday party, so we got to hang out with her. And Dan Aykroyd was there. That was just a wild. It was just wild. Like people were just everywhere around her, and she. She was just, uh, you know, a very, very nice girl and surrounded by, at the time I thought was a very supportive foundation, but she was the biggest star that I spent the most time with out of all of them. The one I felt the closest with, cause we spent so much time together. I mean, we were Orlando, LA, back to Orlando, back to New York, back to, you know, it was all over, wherever she was, we would go. And we would write when it was free for her. So we would just pick up and go. Um, as far as other artists, I can't, you know, there's not as many as I, I don't have as many memories uh, or at least as fond of memories as I do about Brittany in those days. But she was, 
a lot of people feel we were the ones who got her to sing the best because she sang on the songs, you know, it was, a, you know, we had auto tune, but it wasn't like it is now where the computer right, is singing. Just... It's just a speaking spell. It's just, right. it's, it's all it is now. Um, so, but we, it was, it was a good time. And, um, yeah, man. I mean, I'm happy to answer any questions about it. Thanks, anything. Josh. No, that was amazing, yeah. by the way. I, I, I love your sure. story. Very inspiring. Sure. Very Appreciate inspiring. it. It's a lot of and, sadness behind it that got me there that I didn't even go into. Just, to, you know, I'm an only child, no parents, no brothers, no sisters. So it was a lot of it was out of desperation, you know, that because you're going to you're going to swing for the you're going to swing for the stands when you got nothing to lose. It's true. So, yeah. My parents were gone way before, and my mother was a mental case, so <laughs> way before any of this. Uh, so I was kind of on my own, and we're like, well, I don't have any college, so I got to do something. So the first real money we were able to make was probably Aaron Carter, you know, when I was about 25, uh, and it got, it went on from there, you know? It, and it, it's not like it was uh, anything crazy, uh, you know, to, to accomplish, but because Aaron was, it was, it was, he was a new artist. He wasn't. He wasn't like famous yet, only in like Germany because he opened for the Backstreet Boys. There was like a lot of buzz about him as a little boy when he was real little. But when he was 12 in America, there was just nothing to lose, but let's just try something different and see what happens. And that's what started it all, at least for KNS, for us, for Brian and I, um, was I'd say Aaron and then a couple of other little little things. But Aaron was the big one that, that got us noticed. Um, I think they even played it on Hot 97 as a joke. And they're like, yo, new, M new Eminem dropping. Boom. And then they played air. Right. I think they did it as a joke. Somebody told me it was one of the morning shows. I thought that was awesome. I mean, because it, it was a Nickelodeon thing, man. It was a kid thing, you know. And then the tween market sort of happened out of there accidentally, sort of. Like, you never really heard of the tween market until Aaron, you know. I don't remember hearing that phrase until, until that started. And there's a lot of other things that we worked on over the years. It's it's hard, but I can't off the top of my head think of them all. Um, you know, a lot, lots of movies, lots of TV shows. You know, a lot of stuff for that. You know, reading scripts and writing to the script and that right. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. so, so, so what do you have planned for the day? Today? Yeah. It, uh, that's, I have uh, uh, some, well, some real estate business I have to handle and then I have to go to... Uh, 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 my son has a soccer game, so I'm definitely hitting that. That's the beauty of being a realtor is I can bring my iPad and my phone and if something goes wrong or if I have to put a fire out, I have everything in my truck, you know, at all times. So um, that's probably my plan is to go watch him kick ass in soccer. He's been killing it lately, so, but he's little, <laughs> nice. but he's on a travel team. So it's far, it's like an hour drive. That's my day. <laughs> well, I'm going to pick up that book. And like I said, Josh, you've been a big, really, you know, obviously, you know, we were an inspiration for everybody. So, I mean, I think your story is very inspiring. Um, Appreciate it. It's amazing. And as you said, you you come from nothing. You have to swing really hard. Um, you know, you know, uh, you, you know, no, no one, no one that really had it easy in life, you know, and I'm not saying other no. people haven't had a better situation, but no, I agree. Um, when when yeah. the, uh, the odds are against you. You have a tendency. Some people can toughen it up and swing hard. So, Josh, thanks for the conversation. Sure. Um, I, I, I love man. reconnecting and um, yeah, bro, uh, we'll anytime. talk soon. Yeah, man. Anytime. Give me a buzz, you know, anytime.